Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning and welcome to week two of a new series that we are doing on the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai is a small, really short little book at the end of the Old Testament that contains some really important cautionary warnings. It's a cautionary tale of sorts for us um, where we find ourselves in the world today. And so I've been really interested um, to walk through this story with us over the last week and over the coming weeks because Like I said, it's the perfect story for where we find ourselves in the world. Now, the reason that I think it's the perfect story is because similar to where we are now, the story of Haggai concerns itself with a group of people returning to normal life. After a period of interruption, theirs much longer than ours. Uh, This is the story of the people of Israel who are returning from exile and captivity um, back to Jerusalem after, you know, a period of 50 or so odd years. And so they're returning and they're trying to decide how they begin normal life again, how they restart and rebuild their community, their city, kind of their temple, the place of worship, the way that their cultural, religious, economic centers kind of are reestablished and really how they get on with their normal lives as they remember it or as they were told that it used to be. And so I think it's the perfect story for us because I think it contains some lessons for us to pay attention to about how we should return or the ways that we should avoid um, kind of the pitfalls and the dangers of what can happen when we try to return to normal life. You know, with the weather changing and getting cooler and sports being back on TV and kids starting to go back to school, in many ways we are starting to see kind of this return to quote-unquote normalcy, kind of a return to some of the familiar rhythms and habits and grooves of the way that we used to live. And so last week we talked about how one of the dangers that we have to avoid, one of the dangers that we have to be aware about as we, as we return to our routines is not getting so consumed and so busy with our own day-to-day lives that we forget to continue to do the work of rebuilding our relationship with God. Now, in the story of Haggai, this thing, same thing happens with the people of Israel. They return. They're all excited about rebuilding God's temple. This is how they connect to God. This is how they establish a place where God's presence is experienced. This is kind of the epicenter of how they understand their relationship with God. And so they begin to rebuild and they do this for a couple of years. And then then they get a little distracted. They face a little opposition. Life starts to get harder and they start to get consumed with their own day to day, their own routines. They get so busy with what they have going on that they forget to make time to continue to do the work to rebuild the temple. So the parallels for us, as we discussed last week, are you know, really clear. It is easy for us as we become you know, returning to normal, as we begin our normal lives to get caught back in the ways that we used to do things and for us to get distracted and to not make time, um, kind of this dedicated rhythm, these dedicated routines and habits of how we prioritize our relationship with God, how we prioritize rebuilding that and continuing to develop that relationship. Now, this morning what we'll pick up is, you know, as this group of people was kind of called out on the carpet for getting too busy and too distracted, what we see happen next is uh, God through the prophet Haggai kind of shows up and he says, listen, 
you've got to get back to work. You've gotten too distracted. You're too busy with all of your lives, living in comfort and the routines and the familiarity of how life used to be. You've gotten too distracted by all of that. And so you've got to get back to work. You've got to rebuild the temple. And so they do. They begin to do the work. They begin to rebuild for about a month. And then in a month's time, for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't quite tell us, but they lose steam again. They lose momentum, and the building and the work stops. And so we're going to jump into Haggai chapter 2 because the danger isn't just the danger of distraction like we talked about last week, but there's a new danger that can prevent us from doing the work that we need to do to continue to build um, our relationship with God, continuing to create space to establish God's presence in our lives. And so we're going to jump in right off the bat to Haggai chapter 2 to see what happens. So they were rebuilding the temple. They got distracted. Temple building stopped for two years. God sends Haggai. Haggai's like, come on, what are you doing? Let's start the work again. The people start the work again. And then about a month later, they get distracted and work stops. And so this is actually kind of a similar time period to where we find ourselves in now. It's October, but the year's a little different. So this is sometime in, in the month of October in 520 BC. Haggai says this. It says, The word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, who's the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say this to the remnant of the people, those who returned from Jerusalem. It says, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? This house, they're talking about the temple of God. Who's left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And so what we see is that likely the reason that the work has stopped is because there's been this kind of wave of disappointment that's set in. As they've begun to return to do the work, to rebuild the temple, kind of you end up seeing two groups of people kind of through these rhetorical questions that, that Haggai asked the people. Some people, they remember how beautiful and how magnificent Solomon's temple was. The one that got destroyed when they were taken capture and captivity and sent into Babylon. And so they remember what it used to look like. They remember the good old days. They remember how it once was. And so as they begin to do the work, they're discouraged and they're disappointed because they realize that what they're rebuilding and the way that the temple will look is nothing compared to how it used to look. It's going to fall way short of its former glory, of its former you know, magnificence and opulence. And so they become disappointed. They be, become discouraged. They're underwhelmed by the progress that they see. And then there's another group of people. These are the people who they never saw how the temple used to look, but they heard the stories. And so they begin to imagine what the new temple would look like. They had a vision for the future. They had hopes and dreams of what it could be. And as they begin to build and contribute to the rebuilding of the temple, they see what's happening and they're underwhelmed as well. They're just unimpressed. This doesn't look like what they were told the temple would look like. This doesn't match the description of all that they thought and all that they expected the temple to be. So you had two groups of people. You had one who were clinging to their memories and reality ends up 
not matching what they remembered. And then you have another group of people who had all of these dreams. And as they stepped into reality, they realized that reality didn't meet what they expected it to be. And so everybody is disappointed. And because everybody is disappointed, the work stops. And this is the place that Haggai finds them. They're just not working. They're not rebuilding. The work has been you know, discontinued because everybody's just disappointed. Everybody's bummed out. They've lost hope. They've lost encouragement. They've lost excitement for the work because they realize that what they're working towards isn't going to be what they wanted it to be. And I think that where we find the people of Israel is a similar place to where I hope that we can avoid ourselves. You know, as we return to our normal lives, some of us, we remember the way that life used to be. And we are so excited to get there. We are so excited to, to have the things that we used to have, to spend our time the way that we used to spend our time, to interact with people the way that we used to interact with people, to have the same experiences and the same, you know, types of situations that we can live our lives in. And as we're returning, we're realizing that, you know, this return to normal might actually not be the same kind of normal that we remember. It might be a new normal, a different normal. In so many ways, we've already experienced that. But as we continue to return, I think one of the things that we have to account for is the likelihood that life might disappoint us away in a bit. Life might be disappointing in the way that we hoped it would be, that the way that we may or may not return to normal. The other thing that I think we have to recognize is that as we return, maybe we had hopes and dreams for what could become. That, you know, in the midst of this interruption, in the midst of this distraction, in the midst of this pause, that maybe something new could be born. That there could be a hope for a new way of living, a new life, a new way that our, our society or our world or our community or even our family could get along. And, and as we're starting to see, we realize that it is likely not going to live up to all the hopes and the expectations that we have. I think disappointment is probably one of the most common things that we experience in this life. And as we begin to return to normal, I think it is likely going to be something that we all experience. You know, whether it's related to COVID and returning to just kind of the normal routines of life or whether you're experiencing another type of disappointment. I think it's one of the central problems that we find in scripture is that life doesn't look like what we thought it would look like. And so we lose hope and we become discouraged and we begin to wonder why God would allow this, how God could permit this, and where is God at work in it? These are very normal questions, these why questions, wondering about God's presence and activity in our life because of the disappointment that we experience. Maybe your disappointment isn't so macro, but maybe it's specific to a certain area of your life. Maybe for you, you had all of these hopes and dreams about kind of what your family would look like. You got married and you were expecting just to have the perfect life with that special someone to be able to raise your kids and have a wonderful home and everything was going to be great. And now you find yourself on the precipice of this uncertain, you know, unfamiliar world where maybe you're looking at divorce or you're already on the other side of divorce or betrayal or something. And you're wondering where it all went wrong and how you begin to move forward in this place. And so you're disappointed, you're definitely discouraged, and you're wondering why it looks the way that it looks. 
Maybe for you, you had grand hopes and dreams of what retirement was going to look like. You had worked hard your whole life to build up this kind of nest egg that you and your significant other spouse were going to be able to spend your retirement doing all of these fun, amazing things. And now you find yourself wrestling or one of you wrestling with maybe some unforeseen health issues that you're not able to spend your retirement the way that you hoped you would, that life looks like regular doctor's visits and regular appointments and prognoses that don't look so good and that are unfavorable. And so you had all of these hopes and dreams about what could be for your life. And you're standing there disappointed because you're holding kind of the broken pieces of these dreams, wondering how you begin to move forward when life's not going to look like what you thought life would look like. Maybe for you, you find yourself, you're right in the middle of all of this and you had some expectation about what your career would look like. And that's not what it looks like. You've met dead end after dead end. Maybe you've suffered some type of you know, job loss or unemployment because of the last six months and some of the conditions of the economy in the midst of COVID. And so you're wondering like, how do I get back on track? How do I move forward in this? I thought things were gonna be okay. And now I'm starting to see mounting piles of debt. And I don't know how my family and I are gonna be able to get out from underneath all of this. And I don't see a clear way forward. And so you've grown disappointed and dis discouraged as well. I think it is one of the most common things that we face as people. And I think one of the biggest challenges because of the disappointment that we face is maybe some confusion or some misunderstanding about God's role in all of it. You know, there is definitely a line of theology and a line of preaching and teaching that exists in this world that is easy to hope in, to easy to believe in that if we do everything that we're supposed to do, that God will make sure that we are happy and successful and married to somebody beautiful and we have everything that we've ever wanted. It's easy to believe that, you know, the Christian life is one that's supposed to avoid any pain or suffering, any setback or tragedy. And I just don't find evidence for that in scripture. In fact, I find evidence to the contrary. I find again, time and time in scripture that what God promises is that there will be problems, there will be suffering, there will be trouble, there will be seasons and periods and even maybe years or decades of disappointment and discouragement. But in the midst of that, that God is with us, that God hasn't forgotten us and that God is still working and doing something great in our lives and that we should have hope and we should take courage and what God will be able to do in our life, even if it doesn't look like what we thought it would, even if it fails to meet all of our hopes and expectations, or even if it doesn't match the way that we remember life being because it's changed dramatically in some way. No matter the nature, the character of the disappointment that we're experiencing right now, there is hope for us. And there is hope in the story of the people of Haggai. And this is what Haggai says next. So in the midst of all of this, the discouragement, in the midst of all of the, the disappointment that the people of Israel are facing, because the temple either doesn't look like how they remember it looking, or it doesn't match and live up to the expectations of what they hoped it would be. And so Haggai says, he says to them, he says, even now, Yet now, in the midst of all of this, I know this doesn't look like what you think it's going to look like. I know you're disappointed. I know you're discouraged. And I know that you want to give up and quit. But take courage. Take courage, O Zerubbabel. Take courage, O Joshua. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. 
Take courage, take courage, take courage. Pick your head up, lift your chin up, take a deep breath. You've got this. God is with you. And then he says, work for I am with you. Take courage, take courage, take courage. Work, get after it, get back up, pick yourself up off the ground, continue to do the things that you know to do. Take a step forward, keep moving, keep going. For I am with you, says the Lord. I am with you according to the promise that I made to you when I came out of Egypt. My spirit abides among you. Do not fear. And so in this moment, what we see is in the midst of all of the disappointment and all of the discouragement that the people of Israel are facing, God says to them through the prophet Haggai, like, take courage, keep going, don't give up yet. I am with you. And then he relates to and throws back to an original promise that was made to their people, a promise that they were really familiar with, one that they had held hope for, one that they had counted on, one that they had believed in for generations and generations. According to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. Now, you know, several months ago, we spent almost 14 weeks in the story of the Exodus, in the story of God leading his people out of a difficult place, through difficult circumstances, towards a brighter future, towards hope, towards promise and fulfillment. And again, that was the central theme of that story is hang on, keep going, hold on to hope. Don't give up now. I am with you. I have made a promise to you that I will use you, that I will bless you, that I will be at work in your midst and among you and inside of you. And I'm doing something amazing with you. Don't give up. This is the same message that the prophet Haggai says to the people of Israel. He says, God's going to continue the work he started from the beginning. I know this doesn't look like the chapter that you expected to find yourself in in the midst of this story. I know that you didn't find your, expect to find yourself in this place amidst these setbacks, struggling in the way that you are, with the animosity amongst your family or the division in your company, your corporation. I know that life doesn't look like what you thought it would look like, but I haven't stopped being God. I haven't forgotten the promise that I made to you. I'm going to continue the work that I started. We're just not at the end of the story yet. And I know it looks bad and I know you feel discouraged and I know you feel disappointed, but the story's not over. Your story's not over. The story that I'm writing on your life isn't over yet. And so in verse six, chapter two, verse six, Haggai continues. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, once more, I will shake the heavens and the earth. In a little while, I will shake the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Now, that word shake, it's a little confusing. It's like, well, is God going to send an earthquake? What's he talking about here? But really, when they talk about the Lord shaking the heavens and the earth or shaking you know, the sea and the dry land or shaking the nations, really... It's just symbolism for God doing something miraculous, God doing something incredible, some act, some work of God 
unexplainable by man. So you can imagine back then, you know, almost 3,000 years ago, if there was an actual earthquake, if the ground shook and, you know, something, you know, the skies thundered, they didn't have the same kind of scientific, you know, explanations for these natural phenomena. And so it's easy to understand why they would just naturally attribute them to the workings of, of God or workings of the God, depending on kind of their religious kind of orientation. But this is what this passage is alluding to. Listen, God's going to do something. God hasn't forgotten his promise that he's made to you. God's going to continue to do a work in your life just because you were in a tough spot or a lonely spot or a you know, discouraging spot or just you know, even in the midst of your disappointment. God hasn't forgotten his promise and God is about to do something. In a little while, I will once more. In a little while, I will once more bring you through this place that you find yourself in. In a little while, once more, I will show you that I have been with you this whole time. In a little while, once more, life will begin to perk up and to look better and to be brighter. And you can see the future that lies ahead of you. In a little while, once more, I, the Lord your God, am going to do something in your life. You can take courage. You can hold on to hope. And then he ends and says this. He says, and I will fill this house with glory. And I think this is so easy to, to kind of just speed through and to pass over. Because if we go back to the disappointment that the people of Israel are experiencing, their disappointment is based on kind of their perception and their observation of kind of this external grandeur and this external glory of God's house and God's temple. It doesn't look like what they thought that it was going to look like. It doesn't match the description. It doesn't match the opulence. What they see is disappointing. What they see is discouraging. What they're able to perceive with their eyes isn't something that they can get excited about. It isn't something that they can be hopeful in. And God doesn't say in a little while, I'm going to do something miraculous and I'm going to build the most beautiful palace you've ever seen. Or I'm going to build the most beautiful. No, no, no. That's not what he says. In verse 7, he says, in a little while, I will fill this house with glory. See, what God's concerned about is something internal. What God is concerned about is what's going to happen beyond perception, beyond awareness, beyond observation. What God is focused on is not making sure that your life is without pain and without suffering that you get the next new nice thing that you want or that upgraded lifestyle that you want or you avoid all discomfort. No, God's not promising rainbows and sunshine. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's telling us to hope in, to look out for. What he's saying is in the midst of all of this disappointment, in the midst of the season that you find yourself in, in the midst of all of your discouragement, I'm gonna do something inside of you my glory is going to be made manifest. People are going to be able to look at your situation and see the way that I'm at work. People are going to be able to be drawn to you because of what you've been able to navigate, because of the hope that you've been able to hold out through the midst of all of your diagnosis and all of the treatments and all of the doctor's appointments that you've gone through. In the midst of the bankruptcy or in the midst of the divorce or in the midst of the loss and the suffering or the infer infertility, God is going to do something in your midst. Maybe not to change the circumstances, but to change 
the way that people recognize the presence of God in your life. See, this is what it's always been about. The temple has never been about external glory. God's temple is about God's presence and his internal glory that can be experienced in that place. That's what the people of Israel were supposed to be building, a place where God's presence could be experienced. And so as we think about our own lives and we think about maybe the places or the seasons of disappointment and discouragement that we find ourselves in, I want us to begin to hope not that all of the bad suffering goes away, that these difficult moments and these long sleepless nights, all of the pain that we face, not that it goes away. That would be an easy prayer. That would be a nice prayer. And there's nothing wrong with praying those prayers. But what I would hope for us is that we would begin to ask God to fill our lives with his glory, to fill our circumstances with his glory so that when people interact with us, when people experience us, when we're able to tell our story to show people what's going on in our lives, it wouldn't be problem-free and pain-free, but it would be filled with the glory of God. You know, I think this is what Jesus refers to when he calls his followers the light of the world. It didn't mean that they were going to be the most successful or the most talented or have all of the things. No. It just meant that there was going to be something about their life that radiated the glory of God, that allowed people to experience God's light and be drawn closer and into a relationship with him. This is the same thing. Our lives now are the temples of God. It is through our lives that people are able to experience the presence of God. And so the way that we live our lives, the way that we hold out for hope, the way that we take courage and the way that we continue to do the work, it allows people to come in and to experience God's presence for God's glory to fill our lives. And this is how, this is how it ends in verse 9. This is the last thing that the prophet Haggai says to the people of Israel in this moment. He says, the glory of this present house, the glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant peace. That word peace just means shalom, the Hebrew word for wholeness, completeness, holiness. The glory of this house will exceed the glory of the former house. Maybe not in opulence, maybe not in external appearance, but because of an internal presence. And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we can find in God as we begin to return to our normal lives, as we begin to go back to the way that things might have been. There will be seasons and moments of disappointment. There will be seasons and moments of discouragement and of difficulty. That we can trust in, that we can be assured of. But in those moments, in those places, what I take from this story in Haggai is the need to persevere, the need to take courage that God is still with us, that God is still working in our lives, that the promise that God made to his people 4,000 years ago is a promise that is still true today, that God is among us, that God is at work in us, and that God isn't concerned with the external appearance of our temple. But God is concerned about making sure that the internal is filled with his glory so that we and others can experience God's presence in our life. And so my friends, take courage. Continue the work. 
And hold on to hope, knowing that God will fill your lives with his glory and that people will experience that and be drawn closer to him. That is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be someone who follows, imitates Christ, to live in a way that draws people towards Christ, that shows God's love and light through our actions and through our you know, mentalities and through our, the way that we navigate difficulty and disappointment. We are a people of hope. We are a people who find courage in the midst of difficult circumstances. And it's a hope and a courage that God provides. So let me pray for our time together this morning. Gracious God, we thank you for today and for this chance to gather together. For this reminder that, God, you are always at work in our midst, even when it doesn't look like it. God, that you are always present, always continuing to work in us. Even when we feel discouraged or even when we seem disappointed at what we can see and what we can feel. God, even when our life doesn't look like we'd hoped it would. Even when we experience seasons or moments where everything seems to fall apart. God, remind us that you are with us. Remind us that you are continuing to do a work in us. And that we can place our hope in your goodness. And then we ask that you allow your glory to shine through us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.